Thanks for watching today. Throughout the program, you'll notice this graphic. It's there so that you know we'd love to pray with you. You can give us a call or go online. Also, this is a great way to keep in touch with us. There are times in all of our lives that we don't feel loved, appreciated, or valued. God will love you no matter how many times you reject Him or disobey Him. He'll go to the ends of the world to find you if you're lost. God is there to appreciate you, to value you, to love you. Join us for a special Mother's Day message, God is Love. Well, as it is Mother's Day, and, and you know I learned my lesson in 2002, right? On Mother's Day, you had to preach a Mother's Day message, right? Because in 2002, I preached, is Allah the God of the Bible? And I'm still hearing about it, right? So, so I've learned my lesson. It's a Mother's Day message, all right? So I want to talk to you about a couple of the greatest mothers in the Bible. And I want to begin a couple of the great women in John chapter 4 in the New Testament with a woman at the well. Now, here's what I think is, is really interesting about this story. The Bible does not ever mention her name. I was reading recently a Bible scholar, and they mentioned this. They said the reason that her name isn't mentioned is because she represents every one of us. Her story is everybody's story, right? She wanted to be valued, loved, and appreciated. And she was looking for it, but she was looking for it in the wrong places. Now, you might not look where she looked or how she looked, but every one of us are looking to be loved, valued, and appreciated. Some do it through possessions. Some do it through a career, through success, through money, through looks. But people are looking to be loved, valued, appreciated, to be given purpose. So here's basically this woman's story. She's been, well, Jesus, the Bible says, needs to go through Samaria. Now, this is interesting because Jews would not go to Samaria. The Jews and the Samaritans literally hated each other. There was a tremendous prejudice that the Jews had towards the Samaritans, the Samaritans towards the Jews. And what the Jewish people would do, the quickest route was through Samaria, but they would go over, they'd cross the Jordan River, and they'd go around Samaria, then cross the Jordan River again to get where they were going. They would go out of their way a great distance just to avoid the Samaritans. But Jesus and his disciples, they go through Samaria. They get to the well at Sychar, Jacob's well, and Jesus is tired. He's not only been walking, but he's been preaching. So he says to the disciples, go into town and get some food. And Jesus is sitting at the well alone. And a woman comes from the city to the well. Now, this is midday. Now, those of you who've been in third world countries, in the primitive part of those countries, where people still have to go and get their water, this is what you'll find. Women go to the well early and late when it's cool, and they go in groups. But this woman shows up alone, and she shows up in the middle of the day. And Jesus asks her for a glass of water. And she says, a drink of water, and, and she says, how is it that you, a Jew, even talk to me, a Samaritan? And Jesus said, if you knew who I was, he said, you would ask, and I would give you living water, and you would not thirst again. She thought he was talking about natural thirst. 
But he was talking about that thirst for love, acceptance, being valued. And she says, well, give me some of this water. And Jesus said, this is where it gets interesting, go get your husband. And she says, I've had five husbands. Well, she, excuse me, she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right, because you've had five. And the guy you're living with now, you're shacking up with, and he's not even your husband. And she is very perceptive. And she says, I perceive that you are a prophet. She later tells people, this is what she says. She says, he told me everything I've ever done. Right? And then she says, listen, this is what she says. She says, well, you Jews believe we should worship in Jerusalem, but we Samaritans, we believe we should worship here in this mountain. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, the day is coming, believe me, when neither in Jerusalem nor in this mountain are people going to worship but they're just going to be worshiping the Father in spirit and truth because those are the worshipers God's looking for. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 14. Yet God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. God devises means. People that are away from God. God is looking for ways to reach into that person's life and to draw that person to himself. It may be through a friend. It could be through television, a church. You know, when a person has a need, an addiction, a hurt, a pain, grief, anything, God is looking for ways to invade people's life and bring his presence, his truth, his goodness into their lives. Now, I want to real quickly mention five things, five little quick lessons right here from this story. Number one, it does not matter where you are. God values you, and he is searching for means to reach you. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but yet he loses his soul? Now, this world, we all, th this world is going to pass away the way we know it. In Noah's day, there was a flood of water. But the Bible tells us that God's going to destroy the earth again, and next time he does it by fire. It's not a nuclear holocaust. It's God himself. And this is what the Bible says in Peter. It says that the atmosphere is going to explode in fervent heat. And every element on earth will melt away in that heat. And then God recreates this earth afterwards. So this earth, as you and I know it, it's temporary. But every person has an eternal destiny. They are immortal. So obviously... People are more valuable than this world. In God's eyes, one person, I can say it this way, every person has more value than this entire world because this world, it's temporary. But every person, they're going to live someplace forever. And what Jesus did, he came looking to find, to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, the best verse in the whole Bible, the best known verse, is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But the next verse says this. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. You know, that's what most people think, that God is up in heaven condemning. Right? And unfortunately, the church seems to be known more for what we condemn than for what we're for. 
But God didn't send Jesus to condemn. And he doesn't want you and I to be condemning either. But he sent his son into the world that it might, that through him, it might be saved. And how many of you know Jesus didn't come to make Christians? He came to make disciples. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. And where God wants every one of us is not in a place where we're surrounded with Christians. He wants us in a place where our light can shine. Jesus said, don't take that light and put it under a basket. He said, put it up on a lampstand, put it in a dark place where it's going to shine and make a difference. You know, when you're in that spot where you're looking around and you're like, man, everything around here is heathen, anti-God, anti-kingdom, you should go, woo, hallelujah. I didn't even need to move away to be a missionary. Right? You got it right here. Think about it. Jesus was a missionary. Jesus left heaven and came to earth. Heaven was light. Heaven was the kingdom of God. He came to earth where it was dark. Right? And, and we should be excited. Somebody said, oh, just pray I get a job at church where everybody is a Christian and wonderful. I'm not praying that. Because let me tell you something. Everybody's feet stink. You think it's going to be perfect at church? It ain't going to be perfect at church. All right? But, but what, what God wants is he wants us in a place where our light can shine. All right? Second lesson. It does not matter what you've done. Think about that. The devil tries to tell us, you've gone too far. You've done this. You've done that. You've done the next thing. God's rejected you. God's mad at you. This woman was an outcast in her society, shunned. You know what? But Jesus did not care. Jesus came to save people like this Samaritan woman. In fact, Jesus said this, I didn't call, come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And he says, it's not the healthy that need a physician, but the sick. And he was talking about people calling himself the physician. He says, I'm coming for those that are sick. I'm coming for the sinner. I'm coming for the person who knows that they need God. Right? I have a $100 bill right here. How many of you would like a hundred? Lift that hand. Lift it up. Let me see it. Now, let me just tell you about this hundred. This hundred, it may have been down in a bar at the Moose Lodge in Coldwater, Michigan. Like, sit down, sit down, sit down here. We got to tell you about this hundred dollars first. Right? Besides that, this drug, this, this hundred almost for sure has been in on a cocaine deal. They tell us that a hundred dollar bill, there are very few that, in, that are in circulation that are not tainted by cocaine. May have been used to purchase a prostitute, hire an assassin, may have been a bribe, may have been the G-string of some stripper somewhere. How many of you still want this $100 bill? Well, it's, been, it's done terrible things. It's been around terrible stuff. Why do you still want it? It still has intrinsic value. It doesn't matter where it's been. Is that not true? No matter where this been, it will still get you, buy you the same goods and services because it has intrinsic value. And it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. You have intrinsic value. 
The Bible says in God's eyes and hopefully in our eyes, you are worth more than the whole world. Now, here's what we think. We think every time I sin, I did this, rip a piece off. I did something else, I rip a piece off. And I do something else and another piece gets ripped off. And you do something else and another piece gets ripped off. And you do something else and another piece gets ripped off. And in our mind, those pieces that get ripped off, they can never be put back on. But let me tell you something, that's a lie. That is a lie. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you have intrinsic value. God loves you. God values you to this degree that if you were the only person on planet earth, Jesus would have come and shed his blood and died for you to purchase you to have a relationship with him. That's how valuable you are to Jesus. Now get this. Jesus loves you and values you no matter what you believe doesn't make you right but this Samaritan woman she had messed up theology she was worshiping in a mountain where God had said go to the place I choose to make my name abide which was Jerusalem but yet Jesus loved her he loved her in spite of her wrong theology God's love is so great that you and I literally we cannot comprehend it it can't be broken. It can't be undone. It cannot be stopped. Now, you and I try to figure it out. We can't figure that out. Right? And he will move heaven and earth to reach out to you. I want to talk to you about one more great woman of the Bible. She's in the genealogy of Jesus. Her name is Rebecca. Now, what has happened is this. Abraham's son is 40 years old. His name is Isaac. And he still doesn't have a wife. I think he's got a problem with commitment. Now, it's kind of a common thing nowadays, all right? But Abraham takes his chief servant and he says, look, I, the people here in this, this area, they're very wicked. And I want you to go back to my hometown and get a wife for my son and bring her back. So he sends him on the trip. He takes some of the staff, 10 camels, a bunch of gifts, and he goes and he makes the 500-mile journey. And he arrives in Abraham's hometown. And then he prays this simple prayer. He said, God, I'm here at the well. And I'm going to ask someone who comes for a drink. And the woman who gives me to drink and then says, I'm also going to give all your camels water to drink until they finish drinking. Let her be the one. That's for my, 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 my master's son, Isaac. Now, he hasn't even finished the prayer. And here comes Rebecca. And he says to her, Rebecca, not knowing her name, he says, would you please give me a glass of water? And she says, yes. Gives him this glass of water and then says, and I will water your camels until they have finished drinking. Now, that may not seem significant, but a thirsty camel can drink between 30 and 40 gallons of water each. So we're talking three to 400 gallons of water. And she begins to water those camels and 
Eliezer, the servant, he just stands back and watches until she's finished. And when she's done, the Bible says he takes out two gold bracelets and puts those on each of her arms. And then he gives her a gold nose ring. I've been thinking about getting Jeannie one. What do you think? Maybe I'd get one for her this week. No, that's gold, old, gold. Hey. And then he says, hey, is there room at your house for me to stay? You know, th- th- this is really, really important. All right. What she did, she did what was asked of her, but then she went beyond and she did more than was expected. She didn't go, well, I don't think I'll do that because I might, I might break one of my nails or run my pantyhose or that's not in my job description. That's not, that's not something, you know, you just take care of your own stinky camels. If you ever been around a camel, they are stinky. All right. But no, that wasn't her attitude. She was there to serve. She did what was expected. And then she went way beyond what was expected. And what happened was promotion. The next day she leaves and she becomes Isaac's wife. Now, remember the Bible said, God said this. God said that Abraham was very rich, silver, coal, gold, and in livestock. So he leaves everything to Isaac. She marries into one of the wealthiest families in the, on earth and becomes a part of the lineage of Jesus because she becomes Jesus' great, 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 grandmother, right? So our typical thought when it comes to work is this. I want the maximum reward for the minimum effort. I'm going to do as little as possible to receive as much as possible. I'm going to see how little I can get by with. But Rebecca had the exact opposite attitude. In fact, this is sometimes referred to as the Rebecca principle, right? Or the biblical or even the Protestant work ethic. And it's called the Protestant work ethic because Martin Luther preached this so much. This is what Martin Luther preached. He said, the pastor who preaches a sermon and the milkmaid who milks the cow both serve God equally. You see, there has been a concept that there's spiritual work and there's secular work. But that is not a biblical concept. The biblical concept is whether you're preaching a sermon or milking a cow or changing a diaper or washing dishes, every job is a spiritual job and every job is done for the Lord. Listen to Colossians chapter 3. Obey in all things your bosses according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not men. So whatever you do, whether you're doing the dishes, changing the diapers, running a machine, working at a computer, you do it as unto the Lord. Because there's not spiritual and secular work. There is just work that we do for the Lord, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve or you work for the, Lord's Christ, the Lord Christ. In other words, no matter where you were, you're not working for General Motors or Steel Case or the school system. The Bible says when you work, you work for the Lord. And how many know when we're working for him, we ought to do it with excellence? We ought to do it the best that we possibly can. And literally, the greatest tool of evangelism, the greatest tool ought to be when we go to work, right? Because we do our job with excellence, right? We get there early. We've got the right attitude. We're all in. We do what's expected and 
then some. All right. Not because the boss is watching. Well, the real boss is Jesus, but because he's watching, we're working for him. When the boss is hiring, he ought to be going, hey, do you have any more people like you out there, Christians, you know, like work like you? Because if you do, bring them. I want them. I want them. Now, that, that would be a great testimony, right? Extra blessing follows extra effort, going beyond what's required, beyond what is expected. Five quick thoughts. Number one, don't despise small things. Don't despise the small things. What she did was not a huge thing. It was a small thing. In fact, Jesus said this, he who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. But if you're unfaithful in least or in small things, you'll be unfaithful in large things. Uh, Last night here in the service, we had Carlos here. Carlos, he and his wife attend here. Carlos is one of the top 10 tenors in the world. Right. Carlos began when his church n- needed somebody to help with music, and he said, I'll help. It was a small thing, small thing. But he just kept on doing small things. He got noticed, got trained, got promoted. And today, again, one of the top 10. Large doors swing on small hinges. Little things are important. It's very interesting to me that David had one of his soldiers who was guarding a plot of ground with lentils in it, less than an acre, and everybody ran and he stayed. He took that responsibility of something small to heart. The next day, he's promoted to general. Because he was faithful in something small, he was promoted to something large. Number two, don't wait for big moments. Don't wait for big things. Be faithful in the small and the mundane. Right? Start right where you are and let God promote you. Because the Bible says promotion is not from the east, the west, or from the south. But promotion is from, it's from the Lord. Number three, help people. Rebecca didn't preach a message. She didn't quote a verse. She didn't even tell of her spiritual qualities or pray for him. What she did was she saw a need that somebody had, and she met that need. She helped people. That's number three. Number four, do your best and then some. Do what's expected and then some. Go, you can't go the second mile until after you went the first mile. Be trustworthy when no person is looking because you do not work for people. You work for Jesus. That's your, that's your boss. And number five, when a door opens, walk through it. That night, Eliezer went to her family and said, this is what happened. I prayed that God would send the right person. Rebecca came. And what do you, how are you going to respond? And they said, what can we say? This is the Lord. The next morning, he left with Rebecca to take her to become Isaac's wife and vaulted her into her future. So when God opens the door, walk right through it, right? Don't back down. Don't be intimidated. Don't delay. Don't be embarrassed. Don't say, I'm not good enough. Don't say, find somebody else. When God opens the door, walk through it. And when God opens the door and you walk through it, God walks through the door with you and God will put you over. Say, if you've been watching today and you realize in your heart, I'm hungry for God, but I am not right with God. Perhaps you're a Christian, but you've drifted away from God. 
or you've never really given your life to Jesus. And you say, I want to be forgiven. I want to be right with God. I want to be a Christian. I want to invite you right now, bow your head and pray this prayer with me. Pray it out loud from your heart. Just say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. And I receive him as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I'm forgiven, that I'm your child, and I'm on my way to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, we'd love to get you a copy of his book, Your New Life. He wrote this book to help you continue on your journey to take the next steps in your walk with God. You can go to walkingbyfaith.tv and download it absolutely free. While online, you can purchase a copy of today's message, God is Love, in the WBF store. If this ministry is feeding you and blessing you spiritually, please consider becoming a partner with us. You can go to walkingbyfaith.tv slash give and click on the giving option that's right for you. Check out Tiffany's story of how she felt the same as the woman at the well, unloved and unvalued, and how God worked in her life. My life before God was completely full of depression, loneliness, uncertainty, seeking things that, that were worldly. At 19, I was married to my high school sweetheart, got divorced, partied a lot. I dated a lot. I think I was trying to find God in men. Finally fell into a relationship where I was beat on a regular basis, and my self-esteem was, was very low. I was lost, lonely, depressed. Oh, I thought, you know, being somebody's girlfriend or somebody's wife, that, that was going to make me happy. To feel wanted by somebody, that was going to make me happy. And then one day he decided he was going to leave, and I tried to kill myself. I tried to commit suicide. I tried to commit suicide, and, and it didn't work. The attempt failed. God had a different plan for me. Well, once I got to res, I realized that the only way to feel better and the only way to get out of my depression and loneliness was to find something else, and that was God. I asked God into my life that night. I, I hit the floor and said, I can't do this by myself anymore. I need Him, um, and I want to live my life for Him. About two years after becoming a Christian, um, I went into the Navy. My first duty station was in the Middle East, and I was there for two and a half years. And I was tested to the extreme of not having any Christians around me. I had to be connected somehow. The only way I, I did find a connection was through the services that were mailed to me. To have Walking by Faith send me the VHS tapes and then the DVDs was my lifeline. Just to have that connection with home that Walking by Faith was able to provide was everything to me. Well, Rez took me from a depressed, lonely person into someone that's full of life. And it's taken some time, it's taken some years, but I am completely different now than 10, 12 years ago. I'm able to find that I'm secure in my faith and I, I know what my purpose is. I'm now a, a happy mom and wife and I don't think that someone's life can change the way that mine has without, without church, without being part of a a believing body. I don't believe that I would be where I am today if it wasn't for me going to church and being involved. If you have a story like this one, we'd love to hear it. You can send an email to your story at walkingbyfaith.tv or contact us via the web or our mobile app. Happy Mother's Day and have a great week. Life gets busy, so having everything in one place is a big help. 
That's why we created the Walking by Faith app, bringing the ability to watch weekly programs, read devotionals, take notes, and give to your favorite mobile device. And with the added feature of offline listening, you can now take Walking by Faith with you wherever you go. The new Walking by Faith app.